So Holy Spirit, help us to know how we can apply those words to our life. Lord, use my words, the things we're going to think, to help us get closer to you and have more faith in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to welcome those of you who are watching the podcast and welcome all of you here. As you can tell, I'm losing my voice and I'm also loopy from the cough syrup, so this could be really interesting. (laughs) If I say anything inappropriate, you'll know why. We are in the middle of a sermon series called Stuff Christians Say, looking at the meaning of different Christian catchphrases and cliches. And it's not that these phrases are wrong, they're not, they're just incomplete. And often we say them so much that we don't know what they mean anymore. And I think that's true of the phrase that I want to look at today, you just got to have faith. Right? You, just, you hear that from, not just from Christians, it's in our culture. I mean, George Michaels and Hannah Montana. And I mean, it's just, you know, you just hear that all over. You know, it, it's often said to someone facing a challenge, just have faith and it will work out okay. But what does that mean? And what is faith? And if I don't have it, then how do I get it? Or what about if you're like me and you can sometimes tend toward the pessimistic side and you don't think it will be okay like ever in any situation? Now, my excuse is, this is something I inherited. My, most of my family are pessimists. My sister's nickname is D. So sometimes when she's worrying about something, her husband will say, oh, D of little faith. <laughs> what if you're like that? Well, the passage we just read lists a bunch of biblical characters and their stories as examples of what faith looks like. And we know from the previous chapter, this is being written to Christians who are being persecuted to encourage them. And the main point is that faith will make your life harder. It will make your life harder. And the author gives some examples of that. But also, bigger, richer, deeper, better. A life filled with confidence and peace and uh, events that are exciting, right? So how do we get that? Let me start first by saying what faith is not. Okay, faith is not a magic formula. Sometimes you'll hear people say, well, if you just have faith, you'll see miracles. Well, yes, but not always. And just because you don't get the miracle doesn't mean it's because you didn't have enough faith. Second, faith is not intellectual assent to theological propositions. Now, that's ever since the Enlightenment, that's kind of been how we've seen it in the West, but the Enlightenment was wrong and messed us up in a lot of ways. Faith is not what I think in my head or believe in my head. I'll get to that in a minute. Third, faith is not a blind leap where we check our brains at the door. Yes, faith requires us to make some leaps, and I'll get to that in a minute, but there are solid intellectual reasons for believing that God exists and that Jesus really was raised from the dead, the reliability of Scripture, and in past sermons, I've given you those reasons. And finally, faith is not 100% certainty. Biblical faith is a relationship with Jesus where, where we trust him enough to do what he says to do. And all relationships have an element of doubt in them. All do. For instance, I have faith that my wife loves me. Now, it's possible that she doesn't. It's possible she's stashing away money for when she leaves me for the tennis pro named Skip or Troy. <laughs> my apologies to Skips and Troys who might be present. Right? But I've got some good reasons to, know, to trust that she's not doing that. And so I have faith in her. You see, the opposite of faith is not doubt. Doubt is a part of faith. It can even be good for our faith if it spurs us to seek answers to the questions we have. The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is fear. It's not trusting that even if my circumstances are bad, Jesus is good and intends good things for me. In fact, when this passage uses the word faith, the best translation of the Greek would probably be a calm courage 
Faith is a calm courage to follow Jesus, trusting that even if we face hardships, he is good and intends good for us. That's, that's what faith is. Okay, so there's the list of what faith is not. Let me move on to what faith is. Faith is not those things, so then what is it? And how will our lives get maybe harder, but bigger, richer, deeper, better? And how do we get it if we don't have it? First, according to this passage, faith is a verb. The passage over and over again uses this phrase, by faith, by faith, and then talks about how, what people did, by faith. By faith, Abraham followed God to a new country. By faith, the Israelites crossed the Red Sea. Faith is a verb. It's acting on what we say we believe, not sitting around and thinking things. You know, there's an odd line in the passage where the author is describing Abraham's faith, and in the middle of it, he says, and he lived in tents. Kind of a strange non sequitur, right? He's talking theology and suddenly switches to camping. What's that there for? (laughs) The point is this. There is a difference between life led in predictable, secure structures and life led in tents. People who live in tents are always ready to pack up and follow God to the next thing when he says go. See, faith is a journey where Jesus does the driving. And there are two ways to get faith. First, ask the Holy Spirit. Faith is a gift of the Holy Spirit, so ask the Holy Spirit to increase your faith. And second, if you want to increase your faith, do the things God says to do, and then watch him act. All the miracles in the Bible are preceded by some act of faithful obedience. The Red Sea doesn't part until the Israelites step into it. So if you don't have a lot of faith, start doing what Jesus says to do. Start in the Bible. Forgive others and watch how that transforms you and and often the other person. Serve the poor and watch how you experience God in deeper ways. Many of you have heard me say before, the best way to prove to yourself that God exists, best way to prove to yourself that God exists is to tithe. Give 10% of your money away to his work and then watch him provide for you and watch him shape your heart so that you can be content with less. When we do what he says to do, we see him act and that builds our faith. So here's an application point. If you feel like you're low on faith this week, what might God be asking you to do? Do it and watch him work. Faith is not something I believe. It's what I do. Second, Faith does the extraordinary in the lives of ordinary people. You know, I think sometimes when we read a passage like this, we think, oh yeah, but those are Bible people. Of course they did Bible things, right? They're Bible people. Or, or, that, or that maybe faith means some huge miracle like healing someone or something like that. And yeah, sometimes that's the case. But what's interesting is how ordinary the people are in this list and how ordinary are their acts, but how extraordinary are the results that they get. So for instance... Noah, it starts with Noah. Noah gets drunk, lays down naked in his tents. His sons have to go cover him up. In fact, they back in so that they don't have to look at him. You know, it's like, TMI, dad, man, come on. Get a hold of yourself, right? No hero there. Abraham lied. Moses was a murderer. Rahab was a prostitute and Lazarus was dead. So what's your excuse? (laughs) Ordinary sinful people doing extraordinary things. Having extraordinary things happen through their ordinary things. Sorry. If you look, I told you I was loopy. If you look, they're not just ordinary people, but what they're doing is ordinary stuff, right? There's not one healing in this list. Noah built a boat. Abraham moved his family. Others won a battle and a war. Just kind of typical stuff. Ordinary stuff from ordinary people, but God did extraordinary things with them. During the Cold War, thousands and thousands of ordinary Christians just kept pursuing Jesus. And that eventually grew, became the solidarity movement, and they brought down a seemingly indestructible ideology. Just normal people. <clears throat> Faith can move mountains, but it's ordinary people 
doing ordinary things. There's a group of retired women who have met in this church to pray every Thursday morning for decades. They pray for you, they pray for me, the church, right? And we would not have the building that we are sitting in without these retired women. Because you see, 20 years ago, when the church was up on the hill and wanted to expand, we needed to purchase the land that this building sits on. But the owner didn't want to sell the land, especially to the church, and he just wouldn't budge. In fact, it got so bad, the church started to think about, maybe we just need to leave this site and go to a different town or something like that. Well, somehow we managed to get one last meeting with the owner, just spur of the moment thing. And as a church business manager, um, Scott Burbank, uh, who was then and now is back after a stint at Microsoft, he was racing to this meeting. <clears throat> he stuck his head in this lady's prayer group. He said, just pray, pray, which they did all through the meeting. And at first, the owner still refused to sell. But then suddenly, in the middle of this meeting, no one knows why, suddenly he just switched, just changed his mind and said, okay. And then they signed the papers and did it all, all that, right? Well, then a couple of weeks later, that owner died, which I'm sure was not part of the lady's prayer. Okay, just to be clear, they don't, they're not doing that, okay? But just to show it was the last chance. Their ordinary acts of faithful prayer mattered. So, application point. This week, ask God to show you how your ordinary acts, praying, showing God at work or at school, raising your kids to be godly adults who heal this culture. Ask God to show you how those acts have significant impact over time. And you know what we get out of this? The reward we get from this kind of faith is we see that we matter, our acts matter, and we get to see the power of God. And that makes our lives bigger. Which brings me to my third point, and that is faith doesn't pencil. You know, sometimes faith means following Jesus even if we don't understand or even if it doesn't make sense to us. Not because we're checking our brain at the door, but because we've used our mind enough to know that we don't know everything there is to know. And that there's a spiritual world that impacts this world. And because we trust Jesus, that even if it doesn't pencil to us, we trust he sees the bigger picture. <clears throat> Some of you have heard me say that I think the most irritating phrase in Scripture is Genesis 12.1, where God says to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred to a land that I will show you. A land that I will show What's up with that? Right? Like, talk about not penciling. You, know, you just kind of imagine the conversation. Abraham might have said, you know, let me get this straight, God. You want me to go to some land and you're not even going to show me where it is. And God would have said, yep, you got the idea. Abraham might have said, well, how am I supposed to tell my wife that? God would have said, that's your problem. (laughs) See, God never gives us the whole game plan, just the next step. Because faith is a relationship where we trust Jesus enough to do what he says to do. And then over time, we see his results. And that builds our faith. The text says that even though Sarah was 90 years old and Abraham was 100 years old, it says by faith, even Sarah was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, how'd you like to be described like that? (laughs) Man, Dudley, he's as good as dead, man. Came descendants as numerous as the stars. But notice, Sarah's faith wasn't in some vague abstract concept that, oh, it'll all be okay somehow. Her faith was in the God who had made the promise and she trusted that he was faithful and so she was able to have a child even though she was 90 and Abraham was 100. And every time I think about that, I think, really? Was that a good thing? Right? I mean, they'd be the only people in QFC with both the pens and pampers in the shopping cart. <laughs> Takes people a while to get that one. There's always this little ripple kind of... 
Some of you know Jean McAllister. She is a, a woman in our church uh, in her mid to late 70s, and she felt God nudge her to move to Rwanda where she could be a stand-in mom to street kids who don't have uh, mothers or grandmothers. She's in her mid to late 70s. Well, when she came to talk to me about it years ago, she was about to put her house and everything she had up for sale. And she said, my kids think I'm crazy, so they sent me to you, Scott, to talk me out of it. And I said, let me get this straight, Jean. You want to sell everything you have, follow Jesus, and serve the poor? And as the pastor, I'm supposed to say no? I don't think so. So she went. And in doing so, she made her life harder. That made her life harder. That is not an easy way to spend your retirement. But there's also a lot of deep meaning in her life as she gets to be part of these kids' lives and see them transformed by the power of God. And when folks ask her, are you ever going to move back to the United States? You know what her answer is? She says, why? I can die in Rwanda just as well as I can die there. Living in Rwanda by yourself as a 70-something woman certainly doesn't pencil according to our culture. But Jesus knows things that we don't know. And when we do what he asks, the things that don't pencil according to our culture through Jesus begin to make sense and give us rewards that are deeper than our culture can offer. You know what we get? We get life-giving adventure with our Father. Faith is a verb in which ordinary people doing ordinary things that don't always pencil see extraordinary results. And finally, (coughs) faith is looking beyond the immediate to see God's ultimate. Text says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And that's kind of a Zen-like statement, right? Kind of confusing. How, How can we be sure of what we hope for? How can we be certain of something we don't see? I think what the author's getting at is this, that our goals, our hopes need to be bigger than just what we can see, just the immediate and the tangible, because those things will disappoint. You know, most of the things I hope for are visible and tangible, success, recognition, comfort, and those things aren't wrong, they're just not enough, because we were made for eternity, and so we long for eternal things. Deep down, it's not success I want so much as significance, a sense that my life matters, a sense of adventure. It's not so much recognition I want, but a sense of being loved unconditionally, and only Jesus can give that to me. See, we misplace our hopes when we hope for only what is tangible, what we can see. When deep down what we really want are God's ultimate things that we can't see but that last. Relationships, meaning, purpose, connection to God. Faith is setting our sights on God's ultimate things and following Jesus. Even when it's hard, knowing that we will reap God's greater rewards both in our lifetime, but not even just in our lifetime, but beyond because we are part of God's ongoing story and what we do now will affect people down the road. The text says that all these heroes of the faith were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the thing promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. That is, Abraham never got to possess the promised land. His descendants did, but he got a glimpse of it. And he had an idea that he was part of God's bigger story and that his acts of faith mattered not just now but in the future. Not that he didn't have rewards in his life. He did. You know, he got to hear God speak. He got a kid when he was 100, right? Rewards in his lifetime. But one of them was knowing that he was part of something bigger than himself. And I think this is lost in our culture. You know, we used to have this sense of working hard so that our kids and grandkids could thrive, but now it's just lost. We're focused on the immediate, nothing looking toward the future. A while back, my wife and I had lunch with some members from our church at uh, Timber Ridge, which is a retirement community in Issaquah. It's a beautiful place. It looks like a ski lodge. And as we were driving up, my wife said, man, this is a great place to retire. I, I could get used to living here. And I said, yeah, I really like this place. And then she said, oh, 
I was assuming you'd be dead. <laughs> she was planning her AD years after Dudley. <clears throat> but at least she had a future focus, right? And that's part of what faith means, looking beyond my immediate wants and problems, trusting God to lead me to his greater reward. And that I am a link in an amazing chain. God's bigger story that will go on after I'm gone, but that I get to be a part of. Abraham did not know that he was going to be the founder of monotheism, that his descendants would form the nation of Israel, out of which Jesus would come, and that 4,000 years later, folks on a continent he'd never heard of called North America would still be talking about him. He didn't know that. But one of his rewards was getting a glimpse that his small acts of faith, move your family, have a kid, obey God, played a big role somehow in God's redemption story, and he got to be a part, and your acts matter as well. Pastor Irwin Irwin McManus tells a story about how he led his church to purchase some new property so they could expand their church, get bigger. They found a lot in the middle of Dallas that hadn't been developed, which was kind of odd, and his church couldn't afford it, so he borrowed the money from the denomination. And if the church couldn't pay it back, well, then the denomination could just sell the land. Well, when they went to get the building permit, they discovered that they couldn't get it because they discovered that that lot used to be a landfill. That's why nobody had bought it, and the realtor had not told them that. And they took all these core samples, multiple samples. It was garbage 25 feet down. And McManus was horrified, obviously. He felt responsible, embarrassed. He was sure he was going to get fired. And all he could think of was to get the congregation to pray. For what? He didn't know. He just said, pray. And he tried to make the best of it. I mean, he came up with all these slogans like, you know, turn our landfill into a land full of people, or, you know, our trash is God's treasure. There was a nearby church that was called the Church on the Rock, so he said, maybe we could be the church on the dump. (laughs) Well, after months of prayer, a woman in his congregation said, we've been praying, so God must have done something. You should take more samples. Well, that didn't pencil, but somehow he had this faith, right? And so they did more samples, and this time they didn't find any garbage at all. It was just good soil all the way down. McManus writes, how did it happen? Was it because the core sample was in a different part of the land? Or could it be that God had actually changed the landfill to good land? And he said, I don't know. What I do know, though, is the realtor who sold it to us offered three times the amount he sold it to when he found out the news. Now, I know that raises a ton of questions. What if if it had remained a landfill? Well, you know what? God's purposes wouldn't have been stopped by that either. He'd have found some other way. But for McManus and his church, they got a lesson in faith. Faith was a verb. They acted, bought a piece of property. And it was an ordinary act, right? Just get some land. And then when that didn't work, ordinary people offered ordinary prayers. None of it penciled, but they kept looking beyond the immediate for God's ultimate, God's bigger purposes, God's greater reward. And they got it. They got to see miracle that increased their faith. They got a story to tell and to pass on. They got to see how big God was, which made their lives bigger. That's what faith can do. So how can you this week focus beyond the immediate? What action might God be calling you to take? And do you trust that even though they seem ordinary, your ordinary acts of faithfulness can yield extraordinary results over time? Because that's what faith does. You know, I think of the stories of folks in this church. People who by faith planted a church in Bellevue when it was just farmland before the 520 bridge and the Presbyterian poobahs that be said, why would anyone want to go to church in Bellevue when you can go to church in Seattle? Right? But they, faith, they built, by faith they built it anyways and that church grew. By faith they did things like the hunger awareness program that fed hundreds of people, housing at the crossroads to provide low-income housing, adopt a village in Guatemala, 
<clears throat> By faith, they nurtured thousands of kids to know Jesus and to serve him. And those kids are now scattered all over the world, bringing hope in every corner of the globe. When the original building was becoming unsafe, by faith, this church said, we will not just build a new building for ourselves. We will launch the Jubilee Reach Center to help needy people in our community and the Center for Champions to help street kids in Rwanda. And when the experts that we had hired said, there's no way this church can raise that much money, by faith, this church says, that's why we hire experts, for the joy of proving them wrong. <laughs> and we did by quite a lot. And I called them on the phone and said, neener, 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 we, you were wrong. It was a holy moment. By faith, a man in this congregation caps his family's standard of living so that he can give the rest of his money away for God's work, finds more joy in that than he ever got buying stuff for himself. By faith, a woman who suffers from back pain gets a nudge from God to help folks in Sierra Leone. And even though it made their lives harder, her husband and her said yes and have seen God open doors and do miracles and have, they've had all kinds of experiences set in meetings with government officials and rap artists like Run DMC and everything else. And oh, by the way, her back pain is a whole lot less. By faith, by faith, by faith. So what ordinary acts may God be asking you to do? And by faith, those ordinary things can lead to extraordinary results, and you will see the power of God in your life. So Jesus asked that you would please increase our faith. It is a gift that comes from your Holy Spirit. So increase our faith, and Lord, help us to follow you even when it doesn't pencil and see the ways you work so that our faith can get even bigger. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.